Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Hey, I want to talk to you tonight about, well, I want to pose a question to you. And the question is this, does God have access to everything in your life? Does God have access to everything in your life? You know, recently I, um, I use Office 365 and I, um, I was working on my laptop and I would produce a piece of work like a document like when I'm going to preach or some other kind of document. I'd produce it, I would save it, I would come back the next day and when I would open it, it would say, you do not have permission to edit this document. And I would verbally argue with my computer saying, you're ridiculous, I created you, you know, and you're telling me I haven't got access to you, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, and it would have to say, you've got to resave the file to begin to edit it. So I'd have to resave the file, I'd have to work off of the computer hard drive, which you know is a big no-no, because if you're not going to the cloud these days, you're in trouble, that's almost like a sin, right? So I'm basically having to work from my computer hard drive, I'm praying every time I leave that the thing doesn't crash, you know, and all because I couldn't get access, the access was limited. I was not able to get access. And I want to talk tonight and ask the question, does God have access to everything in your life? He created you, he loved you, he purposed you, he fashioned you, but does he have access or does he just like I did with Office 365 keep getting it? Can't go there. (laughs) Hey, come on. It's Friday night, people, but we're going to get, come on, you ready? All right. Mark Mark 11, 1 to 10 says this. When they got gotten close to Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his disciples, near the two villages of Bethpage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to two of his followers ahead of them, he sent two of his followers ahead of them, and he said this to them, go into the village over there and as soon as you get into the town, you're going to see a young colt tied that nobody has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it back to me. And if anybody stops you and asks, what are you doing? Just say the Lord needs it. And he will send it back right after he's done. Everything happened just as Jesus had told them. They found the colt in the street, tied near a door, and they untied it. Some bystanders said, what are you doing? And they answered as Jesus had instructed and were allowed to take it. So they brought the colt back to Jesus, piled garments on its back to make a comfortable seat. And Jesus rode the animal toward Jerusalem. As they travelled, people cast their cloaks onto the road and spread out leafy branches which they had brought from the fields along the way. People walked ahead of them and others followed behind and people began to shout, Hosanna, rescue us now, Lord, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Eternal One. And blessed is the kingdom of our father David which draws closer to us today. Hosanna in the highest heaven. What's happening is a monumental moment in the history of Christianity, the history of Judaism, really the history of our planet. A monumental moment is taking place where Jesus, who is the saviour that has come to rescue humanity, to shift, to change humanity, is actually revealing who he really is. Up until this point, Jesus has been shadowed, hidden. You know, he's been raised as a boy in a normal family. He's lived a pretty normal life. Up to 30, Jesus didn't do anything spectacular. He lived a very regular life, although it says he never sinned. And around the age of 30, he starts to live his ministry. Three years his ministry went for, he's impacted the globe. 
And this is a moment where it's about to be revealed more fully who he is. And what's going to happen is that he's going to ride into Jerusalem, has been prophesied many years before in a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. Jesus is going to fulfill that by riding now into Jerusalem in a certain way. It says he's going to ride upon a donkey that's never been ridden. Why is that significant? Well, kings of the time would ride in that way. They would read an animal that no one has ever ridden. And when they would come to a city, people would put, you know, they'd fashion a seat on the animal out of some cloth or some clothing. The king would ride and people would throw down their clothes that the king's donkey may not touch, you know, the dirt of the ground, right? And they would, they would celebrate that king. And so when they do this with Jesus, they're acknowledging, hey, here comes not a earthly king, but actually the king of kings. Actually, who's coming now is God who's become man. This is, this is huge. This is epic. And what's amazing about this is that in the time, the Jewish people were occupied by Rome. So what that means is that they were under the authority of Rome. They were, they were occupied militarily by Rome. And they would know that when an emperor or someone like Caesar returned from wars, that he would have this epic entourage and this display so what would happen is that as he come there would be horses prancing at upper front all of his soldiers then troops of soldiers would come marching down this would be a breathtaking sight right then behind that would be all the people they'd captured that were enslaved that they would be bringing along and then after that would come all the spoils the riches that they'd captured right so someone of Caesar's stature that's how they were celebrated that's how they were shown to be so great with this kind of pomp and this ceremony Yet God comes to earth, right? Announces his arrival, how? Upon a donkey. The humility of God is incredible. The humility of Jesus is incredible, right? With one prayer, could have ushered down angels to take out the Roman occupying force, never did it. His whole life made a decision to serve, to suffer, to die. What for? You and me. That we might be free, that might be reconciled to God. Hey, Jesus is bigger, he's looking at the bigger picture all the time. It's incredible. And in um, Zechariah, sorry, not in um, Zechariah 9, 9 to 12, it says this. It's talking about this moment. It's talking about this moment. So this is thousands of years before this is prophesied. Cry out with joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout jubilantly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. He is righteous and he's able to save. He comes seated humbly on a donkey, on a colt, a fowl of a donkey. So it's talking about that there's going to be a king that comes that's not like any other king. This king has the capacity to save. What does that mean? It's the capacity to forgive you, to heal you, to restore you. He has the capacity to fix broken humanity. Friend, you and I know that you cannot find hope in a government alone. You cannot find hope in a king or in a leader alone. It's just a human leader cannot deliver what you and I need, hey? But here's what's saying is, hey, here comes one who can. God's coming, come on. And he's going to rush in this new time, this new season, this new era where people would know him and love him, have connection to him and be restored to him. There's this profound and powerful moment, this like pivotal moment in history. And many Orthodox churches celebrate this day. They call it Palm Sunday. And it's the Sunday before Easter. And they will celebrate uh, this day as, as a monumental moment. But in preparation for his arrival, Jesus sends some disciples to find a suitable animal for him to ride. So they go into a town and he says this to them. Go to that village over there and as soon as you get into the town, you're going to see a young colt tied that nobody has ever ridden. 
Untie it and bring it back to me. And if anybody stops you and asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it, and he will send it back right after he's done. Okay, get a hold of this. The equivalent of this is this. You walk out of your house tomorrow morning, early, and you go to get the mail or you go down your driveway and you see, hang on, there's someone stealing my car. Right? And you say, hey, what are you doing? Get out of my car. And they say, hey, the Lord needs it. But he will return it shortly. And you go, okay. When you read this stuff in the Bible, you think, yeah. And then, but when you really understand it, the faith of that person, that when they came to them, they said, this is a God thing. And look, we're going to steal your horse or your donkey, but we're going to bring it back. Would you give him your car? If God put his finger on it, would you give him your car? You know, it's like, I remember when I first came to Global Heart Church, I, I remember uh, I, had, I had like a, just a, a cheap runner. Like I bought a car for like $250 or something. This thing, I was embarrassed to park it out in the parking lot because it was leaking oil on the floor. And, um, and, and there was a couple in church and they took mercy on me and they said to me, they said, hey, we really feel God's spoken to us. And we really feel we're gonna, we, should, we should give you our car. And I was like, really? Well, this didn't happen in my old church. <laughs> and, um, and, and they said, yeah, no, they said, seriously, we really feel God's told us to do it. And we're just going to give it to you. And you know, we've got absolutely no qualms about that because we know that you can't outgive God. And whatever we give to you, God's going to bless us. Maybe it will be monetarily, maybe it was something better than money. But we're, we're, we just feel stirred to do this. So, so I was like, oh, well, okay, I don't know if we can do that. And I remember speaking to uh, Graham, the business manager, and working out, is that possible? And then they wrote a letter and we did it all properly. And they did that. They gave me a car. How incredible. And I thought to myself, would I give my car if God spoke to me like that? Would I give my car? Or what about, you know, what about giving your home? There's church planters, there's people starting churches all over the world, and how they do that is they sell their own home, and they use that money to invest to start a church. They believe, man, this is of God. God's called us to do this, right? We're, we're all in for this. We're selling our home, and we're going all in. You know, and those people are sacrificing that. God said, hey, that's the vehicle, that's what I'm going to use, and they say, yeah, God, would you, would you take it, you know? Or what about, would you give him, if he puts his finger on it, that relationship that you know is not of him? Would you give him the relationship that you know is not of him? Can he put his finger on anything in your life? You know, I, I, when I first became a Christian, my backstory is I was a heroin addict, crack cocaine addict. I was, I was at the end of the, my road. I was in a mental hospital planning my suicide. And someone came in and told me a message from the Bible, much like I am this evening, and something touched my heart. I, it's beyond explanation. I can't really explain it, but something beyond the story touched me. And it started a journey of me wondering, maybe there's a God and maybe he can help me. And it, it was my beginning of coming out of drugs and my life being transformed by, by, by Jesus. And when I was in that place, you know, of being a new believer and I'm kind of now walking out this new faith and I've got into church and I'm, I'm learning how to do things as a Christian and I'm learning you're not supposed to have sex before marriage and stuff like that, right? And I'm walking out, I'm trying to walk out this Christian life to the best of my ability. I really felt God say to me, hey, you need to, I'd been real promiscuous in relationships. You know, I'd, I'd use relationships like a drug, really. And God, it's, I felt God saying to me, you need to lay that down. You need to let me heal you in this area. You need to give to me your relationships. You need to give to me 
your sexuality. And I was, thinking, and I was willing to, because I thought, man, I've not done a good job running this show myself. <laughs> and so, you know, and I see a lot of pretty good marriages around church, and I wouldn't mind having one of a marriage like that. And so I need to do it God's way, not Spencer's way. So I, so I did that. But what God didn't tell me was the length of time that would be. I was more broken than I thought I was because five years into the journey of no dating, when all my friends had got married, I'm, I feel like I'm the oldest single person in the church. I'm exaggerating slightly. But you know what I mean? I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm 30 now. I got saved when I was 25. I'm 30 now, you know. And people are having kids and I'm not even, I'm not even dating, you know. I, I, got, I got impatient, you know. I got impatient. And I, I, I thought to myself, I'll take that back, God. And someone told me, there's a youth leader in the church in the town next door. I was living in a small town in the UK. And, uh, and they said, hey, there's a youth leader in the church in the town, next town, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, yeah, I know her. They go, she likes you. Like, did it. <laughs> been a while, but, you know. So I, you know, casually bumped into her at her church the next day. And, and, you know, and we, began, we began dating, right? We began da- dating. But here's this, outside the will of God. Outside the will of God. And just a little while after that, I met Leah, who's my wife now. You know, and I'm not going to tell the whole story today. I haven't got enough time. But here's what I am saying. I hurt two people that I shouldn't have. Because basically, I could not trust God enough to fully give him that. You know, I gave him and I took it back. Can, he, can, will, can God put his finger on anything in your life and you'll give it to him? And you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. If anybody stops you and asks, what are you doing? Just say the Lord needs it and he will send it back right after he's done. I love it. I love it. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. God doesn't need anything from you. The only reason He would take anything from you is for your benefit. What does God need? He who is uncreated, has always been created, you and everything you see, what needs something from you. Like there's something you could give to Him that could complete Him or make Him more perfect than He is. No, He needs nothing. Completely self sustaining within Himself. And when He says, Give me it, it's for your benefit. It's for my benefit. We're going to give that to him, and he wants to give something back to us that's better, you know. I remember I, um, before I became a Christian, in the gap between my drug addiction being really bad and me becoming a Christian, I worked in the film industry in the UK, and I worked for some film companies. It was a fluky thing. I went to, I went to a rehab. First rehab I went to, I met a guy in the rehab. He was kind of a connected kind of guy, and he said, I think you'd be great in the film industry. I think that would be good for you. And I was like, okay. And I don't know what I was doing with my life. And so I started working with some film companies. Very basic job, like running film across different parts of London, doing different things. But I began to get into it. And I began to find, I actually really love this, you know. And then after I became a Christian, and I, you know, got clean off drugs, I thought, I'm going to study film and television. And that's what I did. I studied film and TV. And I actually felt it was, I thought it was, I felt like it was a calling. You know, like, I'm supposed to do this. Like, 
Like, this is my thing. You know, and I was, I, I was doing well, and I remember, you know, my lecturers saying to me, hey, you've got, you got, you got a gift here. You know, there's something on you for this, you know. And, um, and, and, and then I kept getting opportunities, and I worked on some um, film sets of some big films in London. I then worked on some, um, like, TV ads and other things and some little kind of indie stuff, and I was really into it. I thought, man, this is my thing. I'm, I'm really into this, you know. And then after I finished studying, just as I was about to kind of embark on a career properly, I was praying in my flat in the UK one day, and I, and I saw like a vision, and the vision was of me speaking to people, right? And I felt God say to me, I'm calling you to be a pastor, right? To which I was like, you've got to be joking. Like, you got the wrong flat. Maybe it was the guy in the flat next door. Because I'm called to work in the film industry, and also, you don't want me speaking to people. One, I'm not good at it, and two, I used to be a drug addict. You know, I'm not, I should not be a leader of your people. This is not appropriate, you know. And, uh, and, and, you know, God, like he does, you know, back then when I used to read the Bible, my, you know, I don't recommend this, but this was my style back in the day. I would just pray and open the thing <laughs> and hope it was going to speak because people told me God can speak to you through the Bible, you know, and so I would open it and it fell open. This is what it fell open to. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, it says this. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I come to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and in great trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What do you say to that, you know? It's like, I'll open it again. (laughs) Let's go again. You know, and so I, I, I gave up something I loved. I gave up something I was good at. I gave up something that I was passionate about. I could not see in any way how what God was bringing me into could be better than that. Could not comprehend. It was literally like walking off, you know, it'd be like walking off here and I'm just believing something's going to catch me. You know, it was literally was a step of faith as I made a decision. I remember turning down a job and the person saying to me, you for real? And I'm saying, I can't take it. I can't take it. And they're saying, are you for real? Like, you know, and I'm like, I know. I can't believe it, I'm saying this myself, you know. But here's what happened. You know, I started to walk the journey that God was calling me to, completely incapable, ill-equipped, fearful, um, uh, you know, with lots of issues still in my life, you know. And And now I look now, you know, 20 years later, right, I've been a part of seeing seven churches planted, and there's more to come. This church is going to plant many more churches. I've been part of seeing seven churches planted, right. I've seen untold people life transformed. I've had the massive privilege and the honor to work with lots of other addicts and see them not just come to know Jesus, but come into total freedom, you know, sometimes freer than me. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I've learned and grown in ways that I never would, that I never would if I'd taken that other path, you know, And, um, and, and, and the reality is this, I may not be alive now if I took the other path, you know, that's the reality, because if I picked up drugs again, you know, one hit of heroin, I could be gone, right? You know, and so that's possible. But also, you know, I've made friends 
that have enriched me as I've journeyed with them. You know, incredible friends as I've been on this God journey and this church building kind of journey. So I want to encourage you, you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Whatever he's putting his finger on in your life and saying, give it to me, you cannot outgive God. There's people here tonight and you've never yet made a decision to invite Jesus into your life. And, and you're fearful of that. You're, you're nervous about that prospect. Because you're like, oh, you know, can I trust God? Is he going to take some stuff away? Friends, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Anything he'll take, he's going to give you something so much better. Anything you give to him, he's going to give you something so much better. And so I want to encourage you, open up your heart. Open up your heart tonight. Be open to him. You know, it's, it's great these stories of, you know, I sacrificed something and then God did this, you know. But what isn't nice is the gap in between. So, you know, I can say, God told me to embrace singleness. Now I'm married to Leah. But what I don't tell you is the five years of hell in the middle. You know, it's, 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 it's the gap in between. It's the gap in between, you know. Verse 5, when God sends his disciples to take the donkey and the bystanders say, what are you doing? That's like us. Most of the time when God says, give that to me. What are you doing? What are you doing? The Lord needs it, but he'll bring it right back when he's done. Okay, then. <laughs> a while ago, I started um, a, a small business. Like, um, I started a small business. It was linked to a hobby that I had that I loved. And the thing just started going off. Like, I, I, this thing was going really good. And I was getting extra income. And it was really good. It's cool for me. It was cool for the family. And I was thinking, yeah, this is awesome. You know, my house in Iluka beckons me. You know, it was like, you know, it was like, it was like things were going, was going good, right? And then, clear as anything, I felt God say, stop doing it. Stop doing it. Basically, it's not for you. Didn't tell me why. Just said, stop doing it. It's not for you. I've got something else for you, right? And so I, I because I know God enough now, I was like, okay, okay, I trust you. You know, he had to tell me a few times, but I was like, okay, <laughs> I trust you. <clears throat> so I was like, God, you've done it before, you can do it again. So I gave it to him. But do you know what's happened since then and now? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Because I'm in the gap between... I'm in the gap between God said, would you give it? I'm going to bring something better. Would you give it? I've got something else for you. Would you give me your life? I'm going to bring a better life to you. I'm in the gap that's in between. There's a gap that's in between. You know, people say I'm giving to God, but really, are you giving or are you loaning? You know, are you loaning? Maybe it's more like loaning. You know when you loan your car to someone and they fill it with fuel and they clean it and you're like, borrow it every week. Because I'm better off after you borrowed it than from before. Because I never clean my car and the tank's hardly ever full. You know? It's like, it's, it's, it's like that. It's like when you, you give, you're really loaning to God. It's, it's more like an investment. It's more like you're investing in something, you know, than you're really giving something. You cannot outgive God. And you know as well that, 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 that your giving might just benefit others. It'd be great if the bank had come out. Your giving might just benefit others. My wife, Leah, recently spoke to a lady who lost her teenage son in a car accident. And this is what she said to Leah. She said, within grief, there's always a gift. Wow. Wow. Within grief, there's always a gift. She said that her grief had taken her to a place that she never would have chosen to go 
but it's giving her an understanding of herself that she never would have discovered. It's given her a compassion for other people she could have never comprehended. And it's now allowed her, she's a, a therapist, and it's now allowed her to help many more people, you know, untold people in their grief. And so she's saying that in that, that I don't believe God brought that about. I don't believe that was God's will, right? But, you know, stuff happens, right, in life. We live in a broken, fallen world. You know, we, we are ravaged by the effects of sin. The planet is not the way it should be, right? So all kinds of stuff happens. But even in that, even in that, there's something that God wants to give. There's something that God wants to bring, you know? And so you're giving can help other people. Your giving can help other people. And um, this, this story, this, this cult, this donkey, is used to carry Jesus, right, into this city. So this, this, this guy gives up his donkey, right? And then the donkey carries Jesus into the city, declaring, hey, here comes the saviour of the world, right? Well, check the outcome of that. 1.3 billion people, almost a third of planet Earth say, I follow Jesus. A third. One in three people, right? So you live in Australia, you think, oh, Christianity is dying out. Christianity ain't dying out, people. Christianity is rampaging across the planet, right? One in three people across the planet call themselves a Christian, right? So that man gave a donkey, right, to carry a saviour into Jerusalem. And from that proclamation, 1.3 billion people know God, right? And think about it, that's now. How many people have given their life to God, come to know God, they're in heaven, I mean, that, t- that number's just clocking up, baby, right? And then we're all going that way too. Right? Then more people are coming. So overall, how many people are going to have been impacted through him being willing to say, yeah, God, would you take it? God, would you take it? God, I'm, I'm giving this to you. It's, it's painful. I'm not sure about it, but I'm giving it to you. It's incredible. It's incredible. He loaned his donkey to God. God gave it back. And then through that, God did something incredible. And we're talking about him today thousand years later right we're talking about or two thousand years later we're talking about it today and so I want to encourage you God loves you and he's for you what's he putting his finger on in your life what's he asking you hey would you give it to me what's he asking would you give it to me and I believe there's people here today and you've never made a decision to invite God in and what God's asking you to give him is your heart he's saying would you let me in would you drop the barrier drop the wall would you let me in Hey, we're going to stand we're going to sing. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good. In Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.